Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Sarah Kingsbury, Senior Web Editor of iPhoneLife.com. And I'm Noah Simpson, the COO of iPhone Life. I'm David Averbach, CEO and publisher of iPhone Life magazine. We've got an awesome show for you today. We're going to talk about Apple cars. Uh, It's been in the news lately. We're going to cover that. We are talking about a really cool new accessory that is going to track your carbon footprint. And we've got some fun how-to stuff as well. Uh, But before we get started, I want to take a minute and tell you guys about iPhone Life Daily Tip. We send a free daily tip to your inbox every day. uh, And it's cool things you didn't know you could do with your iPhone. So go check it out, iphonelife.com slash daily tip. Or if that's too hard of a URL to remember, you can go to iphonelife.com slash podcasts. And we will link to there. uh, And check it out. Sarah Kingsbury is the person who curates our daily tip. Sarah, what was your favorite tip this week? Well, in iOS 9, you can now delete all your emails at once. You didn't used to be able to do a mass delete, which seems crazy. Um, But now all you have to do is, you can't do it in the all inboxes uh, mailbox. You have to do it in individual ones. So if you open up your Yahoo account, for instance, then you can tap on edit, and then there will be an option to trash all, and it's great. I'm one of those people who has, I think I have 14,000 unopened emails in my email box, and I'm clearly never going to get to them, so that, that would be a good tip for me. One thing, though, is if you use Gmail, the default is set to archive all, so you have to actually go into the um, settings in Mail Contacts Calendars and go into your Gmail account and change the default to, um, from archive to delete all. Yeah, I kind of like archiving in Gmail. Are you a Gmail user? I don't use it that much. I'm still using my Yahoo account from college, but let's not even talk about that. (laughs) How about you, Noah? Do you use Gmail? Um, I do use Gmail for uh, for some uh, business reasons, but for the most part, I use the Exchange Company account, and uh, for personal stuff, I use iCloud. Okay, so no, no, neither of you guys can weigh in on archiving versus deleting in Google, then, huh? No, I don't think um, I spend much time archiving uh, with Gmail. I do a lot of archiving on my personal computer. Okay. Well, I'm going to go on record as an archiver. I'm not a fan of archiving because I know I will never, ever, ever go back and look at them. So Sometimes I find I need to like go and search some random email chain, though, from like two years ago, and then it's nice to have it there as opposed to delete. So okay, I archive all my business emails. Okay, there you go. Anyway, got a little sidetracked there. <laughs> uh, Sarah, the other thing I was hoping you could tell us about is what your favorite article was from the website from this week. Um, well, I think it was last Friday it went up. Becca Ludlam, one of our bloggers, did a couple's review of the iPhone 6S called She Loves It, He Hates It, which is a really fun take on <laughs> um, sort of two different opposing views of the iPhone, and I recommend that people check that out. What's the synopsis? Why does she... Why does she love it and why does he hate it? I think it really boils down to she's someone who really appreciates the new little updates and features, and he does not really care about things like 3D touch or any of that stuff. He just wanted it to work, and I guess his setup was a little complicated, and so he was just 
over it by the time he could actually use the phone. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So for this and for everything else that we're going to talk about in today's podcast, you can always go to iphonelife.com slash podcast, and we will link to any product we talk about, any app we talk about, any articles we talk about. So go check out that article. You can go to iphonelife.com slash podcast. And let's start the show. We got an email. We got several emails this week. I'm going to read one of them to you on our last from our last podcast. For those of you who missed it, our last podcast was on fubbing, which is iPhone snubbing. Do you want to kind of summarize what iPhone snubbing is, Sarah? It's basically where you ignore the people you're with and <laughs> use your iPhone, and specifically it re- relates to your romantic partner paying attention to your phone instead of your relationship, which is probably a bad idea. <laughs> so we had fun last week talking about that and getting into our own fubbing habits, unfortunately. Uh, but let me read this email. This is from David in Perth. So we have people who listen to us in Perth, apparently. And he said, I've recently subscribed to the Daily Tips and have been listening to the podcast weekly since episode one. I enjoy the show because it is refreshing take on the events of the week by what sounds like a casual conversation around a table or on a, on a sofa. Uh, and I'm not reading it for that, but I will pause to say we are, in fact, sitting around a, a table, and there is a sofa here. <laughs> so I'm glad that came through on the podcast. <laughs> anyway, getting to the, the heart of it, because he's talking about fubbing, he said, I find that now I have an Apple Watch, My iPhone remains on silent most of the time, and I receive my notifications on my wrist. That doesn't mean I don't get distracted just as easily when I should be paying attention to a significant other. In those situations, I find turning on Do Not Disturb is quick and easy, and it disables all notifications. For urgent calls, I can set an override for a contact group, or if somebody calls more than three times in a short period, I will still be notified. So that's something we didn't get into on the last podcast for fubbing is when you're out in public, turning on Do Not Disturb. Is that something you guys do? I'll probably start doing it. It's a great idea. I have Do Not Disturb scheduled for from like 12 to 5 a.m., but it has never occurred to me before to just turn it on when I'm with someone and don't want to be interrupted unless it's a business meeting. So I think it's a great idea, and I will probably start doing it, especially since, as he points out, it's so easy to do on your watch. Mm -hmm. How about you, Noah? Do you use Do Not Disturb during the day? Um, I don't use it during the day. Similarly to Sarah, I have it set for uh, the evening and have notified my family and other people to to call twice if there's an emergency, which I think is a great feature. Um, But I very rarely pull out the uh, control center and and turn on uh, Do Not Disturb at other times. I find I use that semi-frequently. I don't do it like if I'm just out to dinner with a group of people or something like that because I'm not that worried about it. But I definitely do it if I'm in like an important business meeting or if it's a a situation where I really don't want to get disturbed. Uh, then I'll I will use it during the day. But I I do have my calls go through. Uh, I I don't get a lot of calls, so it's not that big of a deal. People tend to text these days, but I, I don't do the two call system. Do you have a, for, for the evening, Sarah, do you have a two-call system, a one-call system, or a no-call system? Um, I have a no-call system. I, I used to have a two-call system, and then I went out of town, and I was staying in a place with spotty reception, and my daughter would call me and leave voicemails, but they wouldn't go through always because of the spotty reception, and then they would come through at like two in the morning. And so I finally just, 
I just turned it off. But you know what I would really like? I would like the option to set multiple times. Yes, like, because, thank you. Because there are certain times, like people, some people get in trouble if they use their phone at work. So they need to set a do not disturb for that time. But they also want to have it on at night. So I think it would be really great for Apple to give us the option to set up multiple times when we're just not available on our phone. Well, yeah, and, and along the same lines, different days have different times. Because I, yeah. I do the same thing you guys have where I have... 10 to 8, it's on Do Not Disturb. Clearly, I'm sleeping in later than you guys. <laughs> um, and But during the weekend, I'm often up past 10, and then I just will miss a whole bunch of notifications. So mm. I would love the ability to, on weekends, have my Do Not Disturb be different than on weekdays. Right. Well, I think it's most interestingly, it becomes clear why you're not responding to my text messages before 8 a.m. <laughs> but I agree. I think that two different times of day would be very useful and so that you can change the time. And, and I found myself defaulting to having much less do not disturb time because of that. So, you know, I have a, a 11 to 6 a.m. type of uh, scenario so that I don't find myself in a situation where I inadvertently am blocking people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I have 12 to 5. It's not because I only sleep five hours a night. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So having multiple would be great. Um, and do not disturb was a great feature, though. I remember before you had it, it was like this balance of do I turn my phone off and nobody can reach me or do I leave it on and then I'm going to be woken up all night. So definitely better than nothing, but it would be nice to have some more fine-tuned controls on that one. Or friends who don't call you and text you all night, David. (laughs) (laughs) That's too much to ask for, I'm afraid. (laughs) Um, We also, this week, we're going to start a new feature on this podcast. We're going to go over some how-tos. So we have iPhone Life Insider is our newest program, and it's kind of like iPhone Life Daily Tips on steroids. In addition to getting emailed a daily tip, you get emailed a video tip. You get that every day. You get in-depth video guides. You get a subscription to the magazine, and you get uh, access to back issues. And most important for this segment, you get to email us and ask us questions. So we're going to go over a few questions each week on air and give you guys answers. So this question comes from Stephen, and he says, I intend to go hiking in the Scottish Highlands for two to three weeks. Must be nice to be Stephen and want to bring my iPhone and iPad along. I will not be near any power supplies. Are you aware of any products that you can recommend that work with iPad and iPhone that will charge them via solar or some other mechanism? Uh, And Noah, I think you were the one that actually replied to him, so I'll let you cover this one. Yes, um, I replied to Stephen, and um, I remember from uh, CES a couple years ago, being very fond of a lot of the Goal Zero uh, products. Uh, So you can go check out Goal Zero, but they have some very lightweight uh, solar panels uh, that seemed like they were an ideal solution for Steven. I also recommended the Night Eyes gear tie uh, to simply and quickly attach those types of things to the outside of your pack. Um, And uh, also one of our editors remembered um, that we had recently, uh, Nate Adcock had recently reviewed a system where you could stick uh, sort of this metal conductor over a campfire uh, and it purifies water in addition to charging your iPhone rather quickly uh, in the evening. And I thought that was an excellent product. So we recommended that as well. And that's called the 
power practical pot. <laughs> and we'll link to these things as well, so don't worry. You don't have to try to Google them. They'll be right there for you. I really uh, like the idea of the power practical pot because you need something that's not necessarily dependent on the sun. But yeah, exactly. I mean, if it's, if it's not a sunny day, solar is not that useful. But there's also a solar charger that is actually made to attach to your hiking pack, which is ah. really handy. It's called the Voltaic Fuse Solar Charger, and it comes with special things that attach it, and it has a little bag attached to keep your cables and stuff. And I know he didn't ask about it, but I would recommend a really rugged cable to go with it if you're going to be out hiking because you're not going to be able to easily replace it if something happens. Not to mention a rugged case, maybe a, a life proof or something like that so you can drop your phone and not worry about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But I really like the Skosh Strike Line LED lightning cable and mm -hmm. uh, Shiva Omar Gear Editor has also recommended it. Yeah, I've heard really good things about that as well. Uh, I also, we recently had an iPhone Life deal where if you go to deals.iphonelife.com, we, we feature daily deals. And one of the deals was for a battery pack that was solar charged. So that's another one that similar to what you're saying, you can just strap it on. I think it was Zero Lemon or something like that. Anyway, I don't remember. we will link to it uh, and you can strap it on and it's a similar product. So Lots of solar options. I, I agree. I think that pot and there's there's a couple options like yeah, that. Yeah, there are similar products like that. There, are, uh, this one specifically had, you know, the conductor hanging over the flame. There's others that are more just the cooking pot itself, where mm -hmm. you're cooking your water and that uh, charges up the iPhone. So there's a couple of different options in that category, but really it's. It's somewhat of a growing and exciting category for, for the outdoors, you know, adventurer. It's funny because my first reaction is like, if you're going camping, why are you bringing your iPhone with you? But the truth is the iPhone is such a great uh, camera now that it seems like a really practical thing to do. And I'm sure there's lots of apps out there for helping them navigate the trails as well. So Yeah, there are definitely excellent topographical maps for knowing exactly where you are. And it's also an excellent emergency tool. You find yeah. yourself at the top of a mountain getting a signal. Uh, and you have an emergency contact. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Our next email comes from Dave. Uh, and Dave said, I updated a video to YouTube. I'm assuming he meant uploaded a video to YouTube that I had taken with my iPhone 6S. The video uploaded uh, but, has, but was not sharp. I uploaded it from my iPhone 6S so it has HD. I did this before doing settings reset. Uh, what is the problem? So Noah and I were spent a, f a few minutes this morning uploading videos to YouTube in different ways and discovered there are different ways to upload to YouTube and they have different quality. Noah, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, essentially the, um, the native interface for sharing videos on your iPhone uh, dumbs things down in, in different ways. And Apple is you know somewhat trying to help people manage their storage and, and manage their data usage. Uh, but uh, the end result is you may not realize that you're that you're lowering the quality of your video. So if you go directly from your camera and do a share, it will only allow you to upload in a standard definition to YouTube. Uh, if you go into your Photos app and then do a share from your Photos app or upload to YouTube, then it will let you do 720p. Um, but obviously, if you want to go higher to 1080p, uh, then really Apple doesn't provide a solution unless you download 
iMovie and then you have more control. Uh, but a free option is you download the YouTube app itself, log into your account, uh, and then you use the YouTube uh, app upload feature uh, and that will send it up to, to 1080p and I'm assuming in the near future that will be a 4K solution as well. Um, but anyway, it's, it was good to understand the, some of the different levels of sharing on YouTube and uh, some of the controls that Apple puts in place that may not be immediately apparent. Yeah, it was something that I had never thought much about. Um, just to clarify, I'm pretty sure iMovie is now free for iPhones, correct? Oh, yes, that's they correct. did make it, it free. With. That's right. Mm -hmm. But even so, I mean, if you're using iMovie <clears throat> to edit, definitely it's a great software. I don't think you really need to download iMovie just to upload to YouTube. Oh, by the way, this is a little off topic, but they just updated iMovies to be compatible with 4K. Mm. Oh, wow. So you can edit 4K video on your iPhone now, huh? I mean, if you have a 4K compatible iPhone. <laughs> the success, just saying. Um, but going back to Noah's point, the uh, the way I would have normally thought to upload a video to YouTube would have been to go into my Photos app. You can't see him doing quotation marks there. My Photos app, and then hit the little share button, and there's a share on YouTube. But by default, by doing that, you're only sharing at 720p. And then if you actually, if you record the video and share it right away in the camera, Noah, that's only, what, like 240p or something? Yeah, it's very low quality. So it's weird because you don't, and it doesn't, they don't make it clear that that's what's going on necessarily. Yeah, and for sharing it via, you know, iMessage or something, it's very useful to just mm -hmm. send somebody a low quality thing of, this is what my kid did a few seconds ago. Um, and you don't want, you know, all of that bandwidth, you know, taken up with, with those things. So in, in most use cases... Uh, it's very helpful, but in this particular use case, it's really not. I think one warning, though, if you are going to upload to YouTube and you do want it to be 1080p or even 720p, make sure you have Wi-Fi. Don't do that over da data because you'll burn a lot of data. All right. I think that wraps up our section. Everybody was nodding at me. <laughs> um, so uh, the next thing we're going to talk about, we've got a few iNews items for you guys. First of all, while we don't typically cover uh, Macs, Apple just released a new iMac today. Did you guys see that? I did. Yes, very, very impressive. What are your thoughts, Noah? Why are you so impressed? Just because I want one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, other than just being a fanboy that buys every Apple product, what are the specific reasons that you want one? <laughs> uh, I think it's, um, it's great to see the, uh, the Retina screen uh, enter the, the iMac line. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's going to be a, a great feature for everybody. Uh, I was disappointed that the uh, you still have to go up to sort of the highest quality version in order to get the uh, Fusion uh, Drive, uh, which I think is really an essential part of the computer now. It's like I, I can't go back to a standard hard drive after using a Fusion type drive or a solid state drive. So this is one of the things where <laughs> it's a little bit out of our use typical use case because we talk about iPhones and iPads. But in terms of computers, this is one of the biggest changes lately, and I think everybody's a little bit confused about it. So there's a hard drive, a solid state drive, and then a fusion drive. What, what, what is the difference between all those? Yeah, so the, uh, the standard hard drive that was commonplace in computers for a long time is essentially a disk that physically spins around. Uh, and it spins at a certain speed, and computers have gotten so fast that the speed that that disk spins around is really the thing that is slowing your computer down. 
Um, then they came out with the solid state drives and the solid state drives were more like the RAM in your iPhone. There wasn't a physical part that was spinning around and it could access information very fast. The downside was they were extremely expensive. Uh, so not a lot of people could afford them. Apple came out with the Fusion Drive, which is really the hybrid between the two. It takes a smaller, cheaper, solid state drive, puts the most important information, and it checks to see what you used most often, keeps it on that drive, and then uses the slower drive for all of the bulk storage stuff that you rarely access. So, and what Noah's getting at, and I agree with him, is really it speeds up your computer so much to be using either solid state or a fusion drive that it's, it's worth investing in. But Apple on the new iMacs, the, the cheapest model did not have that. It had a... Yeah, it didn't have it as... I, really, it should be a standard default uh -huh. uh, amongst all their computers at this point because the, the benefit is so great that the user experience of using a fusion drive or a solid state drive um, is, is really in line with what Apple wants, which is somebody purchases their computer and they have a great experience with it. Um, and it's something, one of the times where I find it's particularly makes a big difference is whenever you're opening up a software. Like if you open up, especially you open up something like uh, Creative Suite, Photoshop, something like that, on solid state it opens like instantly and with a hard drive it opens slowly <laughs> yeah startup times for your computer itself are dramatically affected but really the general general usage is dramatically improved it, it really is light years better and to bring this back to iphones this was one of actually the bigger uh innovations that the iphone originally had was it was a solid state device and actually the iPod was one of the first solid state devices ever. And so that was something that it was new technology at the time. Everyone was trying to fit things on hard drives and suddenly you could fit on a solid state. And that's part of the reason why iPod started at like four gigabytes and then by the end they're probably now up to like 160 gigabytes or something like that, right? Yeah, certainly they, they've grown over time and I know that Apple... Uh, at the time that technology was new, they were using a lot of their big company muscle to pre-purchase all of the RAM that was produced in the world, really. Mm -hmm. So everyone else had to purchase it at a much higher price. Uh, and Apple had sort of pre-ordered that RAM years in the future uh, and really gobbled up all that production. And it's one of the key elements that allowed them to, to muscle into that space, into that music space. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of history there for you. Uh, other than that, I think the most exciting thing, like you were saying, the iMac has a 5K screen. Only the 27-inch one, though. Oh, okay. Uh, five. <laughs> only, only one of them. The other yeah. one you have to make. The other one has a 4K. 4K. That's 4K. Right. <clears throat> I mean, five, do we need 5K? I don't. Yes. <laughs> what difference does it make? Well, certainly, uh, you know, I do a f some graphic design, and uh, being able to see that detail on your screen. Uh, has a huge advantage uh, looking at photographs. Uh, really, it's about the, it's more about the pixel density to me than it is the number of pixels. Okay. I think the quality of the screen uh, breathes a certain life uh, that is very valuable. I don't know that it actually needs to be 5K. It just needs, the density to me has the value. Okay. And any other features about the iMac that were noteworthy that you're excited about? I think those are the main ones that I'm excited about, yeah. All right, moving back to the world of iPhone, uh, Chipgate. Sarah, tell us about the latest gate. Well, yeah, exactly, the latest gate. 
Um, some people have noticed that Apple, ha the iPhone 6S comes with one of two different chips. So you either have one made by Samsung or one made by a Korean company whose name unfortunately is escaping me, uh, TMSC, I think. Yeah, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturer Company. Oh, Noah's Good winner job, trivia Noah. night. Yes. Gold star. <laughs> and um, there was an article that said basically that the Samsung one was giving iPhones two to three hours less of battery time. And of course, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. But Apple then responded, which they don't often do, and said, no, there's a difference of maybe 2 to 3%. And then some other company, I think it was Arc, Arc Technology, they also uh, did a test and said, yeah, basically, there's not a really big difference. It's insignificant for most users. Okay, so you're in, it sounds like we're in the clear. We don't need to crack open our iPhone 6s and see which chip we have. I, it's not really a big deal. Okay. And can we take a minute then to talk about how every time there is a new iPhone that comes out, we have a new gate? Yeah, it's basically, it's part of the cycle. First, we have like all the rumors and then, you know, the photo leaks and then the actual announcement and then the release. And then a few weeks later, there's the gate. Like mm -hmm. last year, there was Bend Gate. And then, of course, everyone remembers Antenna Gate. You know, and Apple always downplays them, although it's worth noting that they did make the new iPhone stronger. But generally, I think it's not always worth getting excited about. They're, I mean, it's just part of the cycle almost. Yeah, yet every year I find people get excited about it. Without fail, every, like, social media just goes crazy over the gate. And then, it, of course, everybody, then they go crazy over, like, going crazy over it. Everybody's talking about how it's not a real thing. Yeah. I, I think with this particular one, it's it's the, it's the, I don't know, sort of the weakest of the gates in, in our mm. in our recent future um, because most people will be affected by it in almost no way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. uh, the standard usage of your phone, you're not going to see a difference. Apple's statement came out saying it was about a 2 to 3% uh, difference uh, sort of based on their larger aggregate data. Uh, which is really not very much. Um, I think that the the real loser in this scenario, though, is actually Samsung, because as people are comparing these two chips, the Taiwan Semiconductor chip is outperforming and it's doing better and it's not using as much power and Samsung's brand is getting a huge yeah. hit. Um, so really, I think... This is much more affecting Samsung than it is uh, affecting Apple. Yeah, that's a really good point because there's something, A, I mean, I think a lot of people might not realize that even though Apple and Samsung are competitors in one region, which is, you know, selling devices, uh, they're critical partners in a different area and that Samsung actually does provide a lot of chips. But 2 to 3% for Apple isn't that big of a deal. If you have a Samsung chip and it's 2 to 3%, it's not that big of a deal, but it definitely does not make Samsung look good. It doesn't make Samsung look good. And, and the finer points about the chip gate is that there's a difference between the type of usage. So mm -hmm. depending on the type of usage, then you see the... The difference between the chips separate further, and that is if you have really heavy uh, process uh, intensive power usage demands for a very long steady period of time, 
uh, then the Samsung chip starts to fall off in terms of its performance and the uh, Taiwan Semiconductor is, is shining a little bit more. Uh, but most people don't use their phones that way. And so really, you know, it doesn't fall into the category of something that most people should ever I, care about. I will say, though, when I heard this and then I instantly was told that it wasn't a big deal and I shouldn't worry about it, my first thought was, I must have a Samsung. <laughs> I must have a Samsung chip because I've been really <laughs> underwhelmed by my battery life on my 6S. It's something that it, it like it, on a typical day if I'm at work, I get home and it's fine, but on a weekend if I'm using my phone during the day or when I was traveling, I was in Chicago, my battery was dying so fast. Mm. It seems like in so many ways the iPhone's gotten become such a mature product yet if you're in heavy usage, the iPhone doesn't make it through the day. Yeah, and especially because these new phones are supposed to have slightly better battery life and there's low power mode and there's supposed to be all these things about iOS 9 mm -hmm. that makes it really efficient. So that's a bit of a disappointment, I imagine. Well, and yeah, and that was one of the things where actually, from what I've read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the 6S actually does have a slightly smaller battery, but they claimed that because they had to make room for the haptic engine, uh, but they claimed that they, was, they were making up for it with all the processing power. Uh, and they were making up for it with the operating system. But I just haven't necessarily found that. Like, I use low power mode and my phone still dies really freaking quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not speaking necessarily from, from knowing the answer to this question, but I'm speculating that you may have differences because they're relying on that software. They may be relying on the standard use case scenario as being a longer battery life, but not necessarily getting more battery life over a heavy usage scenario where you may be traveling, you may be using your maps, your GPS a lot, uh, and using a lot of communication and phone calls with people. So it could be that in those scenarios, you're actually getting a less... Uh, less of a battery performance than mm -hmm. you did on the previous phone. I have a spare battery case you can have, David. I know you don't <laughs> like battery. I, don't, I know you don't like cases, but I, I actually do tend to travel with a battery case. Um, but I, they're, they're laughing because I, I never have a case on my phone. I'm and I'm an advocate of the glass screen protector, and that's it way of life. Um, but I do travel with that. Although, do you guys find? Because I find if I have the battery case on my phone makes the reception for the phone weaker and it actually will drain the battery faster until I turn on the battery. Is this something that you guys find or am I just really in battery purgatory well, I here? I have a case which I can't, I wish I could remember the name. It's awesome because it has like an individual, it has a little snap case mm -hmm. that locks onto the battery. So I don't put, even put it on until I'm ready to charge my phone. But in that, yeah, I've seen those and that's probably the best way to go in traveling. But then you still have to carry a battery pack in your in your well, pocket. I have a purse. Yeah, I don't. Just <laughs> embrace the man purse, David. Embrace the man purse. That's the more of the story here. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I've noticed in terms of battery power is, I think it was starting in iOS eight. Apple started uh, allowing background processing for apps a little bit more. I've noticed, right, right. and that's something. It particularly Facebook seems to have really oh gone crazy with that. Because when I go look at how much, what's using up my battery when my battery's it's dying so Facebook, quickly, it's right? Facebook. And mm -hmm. I've gone and turned off background processing and it, it makes a big difference. Did you turn off the automatic updates for Facebook? That's really important. No. How do I do that? Um, you'll just have to go into your Facebook settings probably. Actually, that's a really good point. Anytime you update operating systems, anytime you get a new phone, anytime you get new apps, just make it a habit to go into your settings and go through every app 
in your privacy settings, in your cellular settings, and just turn everything off. Like think about it. Like maps, yes, I want that to have cellular data access. Mm -hmm. And yes, I want this maybe this app to refresh automatically. But do you need your mail app to be pushing through your emails constantly unless, you know, it's like work hours? Maybe you want to fetch those manually. Um, that's something to consider and just take a look at. It can make a big difference. And uh, so I'm sure we have most of those things you just uh, talked about as tips. So maybe we, we can do. link to some of those in, in the podcast. They probably updating, but we do. Okay. Uh, and so just I'm taking a look at my phone right now. And in the last seven days, 30% of my battery usage has been from Facebook. Uh, and of that, I've... I'm embarrassed to say in the last seven days, I've been on Facebook four hours. Uh, <laughs> that's really not bad. I, that's actually less bad than I thought it would be, which is why I was okay sharing that number. Uh, but <laughs> 17 hours of background processing. That's insane. Yeah. I don't know what it's like. What is Facebook processing for 17 hours? <laughs> it's basically spying on you, I'm pretty sure. Um, probably. So that's something I think you can turn it off. We'll... we'll link to a tip of how to do that. I'd be interested if you'd be willing to do an experiment, take Facebook off your phone for a week and just see how your battery life is and then put it back on. I'm willing to try that. Uh, also measure your productivity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will just use it on my computer. No. <laughs> I have a friend who works from home who deliberately took it off her phone. Yeah, I mean, there's web browsers out there that are like specifically just to block Facebook. <laughs> um, Another thing that's really good to do, and to, which is what I was just doing, is in iOS 9, there is now a battery setting in settings. So you can go in there and you can view uh, what apps are using your battery. You can view that both in terms of uh, percentages and amount of time used. And you can talk about, and it'll show you how many hours on screen versus background. So you can get a pretty quick idea of how much background activity is going on and whether that's actually to blame for uh, using a battery. Yeah, I love the more detailed battery information you get in iOS 9, and we recently had a tip about it, and I'll link to it when I put up the podcast. Yeah, I think for a lot of users, they can just turn on low power mode and really not experience the difference that much. I mean, unless you're really hanging on the second that that email comes in mm -hmm. uh, and you're away from a Wi-Fi area, then low power mode is really going to serve a lot of people better than the standard mode. I will say that's one of the things that... I was a little disappointed by about low power mode though. I almost wanted like low power mode and then like extremely low power mode. Like I wanted them to like turn off my Bluetooth and to make my screen barely visible. And like when my phone, cause I, I was in Chicago, I had like 3% battery life and I wanted to like cut, I wanted to triage my phone and it, yeah. the low battery mode didn't do that. Yeah, yeah their brand guidelines long. will not allow you to do that. <laughs> well, here's the thing, and I think Noah made a really big, good point, is a lot of the things that low power mode does are the things that I'm recommending you do manually. Uh -huh. And so that's a good solution because then sometimes you can be in full power mode where you're just like having all sorts of things go through in the background and then just turn on low power mode, which you can do with Siri, so you don't even have to go find it in the settings, and then just conserve battery power when you want to. All right, so let's move on to gear. Uh, we're going to talk about world being today. Sarah, do you want to tell us what world being is? <laughs> it, it's not an actual, it doesn't actually exist yet. And okay. uh, there's no world being. <laughs> I'm sorry, it sounds very new agey. Um, it is very new agey, to be fair. 
Well, it's very eco, maybe. Yeah. Um, basically, it's a it's a tracker that you wear, but instead of tracking, say, your fitness, it's basically tracking your carbon footprint. And they, I, I don't think it's even going to be available in 2017, but the idea is it uses information from other apps and tracks your location, and I guess you enter what you buy. Like, you can use, supposedly, this is their plan, to use Apple Pay to sort of track what you buy and then it tracks the carbon footprint of your transportation and what you eat but I, I feel a little skeptical I don't know that I want an ugly second tracker to wear with my Apple watch why can't it just be an app yeah I, that's what seemed weird to me about it I mean that there were lots of things that seemed a little weird to me about it yeah. first of all that it's not actually a real thing and may never be a thing but also I didn't understand why it would go on your wrist it was like I it seemed like everything was being logged through the app I didn't know what you were doing, like what the wrist monitors. I think were there using. was some scan function, or you know, of like a barcode or something. I don't but you know. You can do that with your phone or your yeah, Apple Watch. It really seemed excessive. I agree. I, I I didn't understand what the what the point of having the wrist device really was. I, I think the biggest takeaway. I watched the promo video mm-hmm. today before the podcast, and the the biggest thing that struck me was as they were showing people using it. To, to get an effective picture of your carbon footprint, you really had to invest a lot of time and yeah. energy yeah. to get this number. And, um, and you know, at the end of the video, they're like, oh, you most of these things will be automatic in the future. And by 2025, you won't have to do anything. That's 10 years from now. I know. I mean, it's at that point, from now. I think it might be too late for the world. Exactly. Like, but I, but realistically, you know, in, in looking at numbers, <laughs> yeah, and looking at numbers, to me, it seemed like you could get pretty close to the same information by taking a survey. You know, do you, yeah. do you travel by plane, you know, how many times a year and, you know, do you go to work and how far? I mean, it's like it seemed like the numbers that you could get from that from just taking a survey once is going to be relatively similar. And yes, it won't track it over time. But man, it seemed like a lot of work for a really small piece of information. I, I, I agree. Yeah. It was almost a depressing product because inherently you really want to like it i mean yeah. it's something that's doing I, I, good for if the world an app i would definitely look into just using just the app yeah and there, there either and there is are some apps. Yeah, yeah or there, there will be footprint apps but it's it's doing something good for the world but it's something that like it made you realize how hard it is to track this stuff and it, like what a problem that is well for me that's why for instance i mean obviously i'm not actually a dedicated dieter i don't actually diet but sometimes i like to you know kind of do a check but then when it comes to adding in, because also I cook from scratch, it mm-hmm. makes me tempted to eat packaged food just so I can quickly <laughs> put in the calories of what I'm eating instead of entering recipes and calculating my portion. But I feel like it's the same sort of thing and I will never do it. And it's also just in, in terms of the topic, you really should just maybe educate yourself about mm-hmm. how to live more lightly on the earth and go for big wins, you know, like... That was my feeling. The amount of time and energy you would spend logging every single activity that you did, uh, if you took that time and you you put it towards a positive thing for the world, either in terms of environmental or something else, you could do it more productively. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what bothered me about it a little bit, is it kind of assumed 
that you were both smart and stupid at yeah. the same time. <laughs> and and it just like functionally, it seemed like it was at odds with itself. Yeah. I mean, the video showed the person riding their bike to the grocery store. And it was like, did you need the app to tell you that that was going the, to be a good one, thing? The one thing that I thought was fun is like just getting a pedometer app on my phone way before the Apple Watch. It really encouraged me to actually walk around more. Mm-hmm. And so having something that kind of tracks that. But I feel like you don't need a, a tracker for that. You just need an app. And you could really just maybe make a decision to walk more or ride your bike more and track that with apps you've already got. I will say I read this study once. They did this study looking at people's power consumption. And if they showed what the average power consumption was in the neighborhood compared to you, the power consumption went way down. Everybody, Mm -hmm. if you show what your neighbors are doing, people get competitive and it goes down. And so one of the features I liked about it was that you – you could have friend, your Facebook friends in there and see how they were doing. And being competitive with your friends about something that's positive for the world seemed like had some potential at least to, to help. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I and I liked the concept of, you know, they sort of had a carbon footprint number on products that you were consuming. I liked the idea of being able to see that number. Uh, but being in the manufacturing business for many years, to me, it just felt like, oh, so many people are going to want to game that number. <laughs> yeah. The same way Volkswagen just gamed their number. It's like, it seemed like such an imperfect type of system. It really requires such a huge network of policing and investment. And, mm-hmm. and, and not to say that we're not running towards a really scary problem and we don't need to do something about it. But I, I didn't immediately feel like this was the solution. I feel like anytime it's a lot of work, to change a behavior, it will never happen. You have to make it easy and natural. In fact, you kind of have to sort of change the situation but not change the behavior (laughs) and then positive things happen. I mean, like, let's just be honest about human nature if you want to actually make a change. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're all just lazy slobs, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I I read this article. It's funny to relate it back to dieting again, but I read this article about dieting and they, they talked about that as well. And one of the the research shows one of the best ways now to diet is to make it harder for you to get to the junk food. Like even if you just keep it on a top shelf, if you put it in the other room, the, those little things, it's like taking advantage of the laziness of human nature instead of getting humans to not be lazy. <laughs> Excellent suggestions. I feel like it's a very natural state of being, laziness. Like obviously we've evolved to be lazy, so why not use that natural tendency? Exactly. <laughs> Harness it for good. I think, and this is maybe the last point on it, <clears throat> um, and it's getting a little little bit in the political range, so I'm sorry about that. But one of the things that always bothers me about these type of apps and these these type of initiatives is how much they focus around the individual. And it's like if all of us as individuals choose to change our behavior, it makes a huge impact, of course. But the personal impact of me riding my bike to work compared to the impact of corporations who are really responsible for the majority of the CO2 gas, it feels a little bit silly to put too much attention on that as opposed to putting some attention on the corporations and and dealing with it on that side. I agree. There's another thing is if you don't live somewhere where it's safe to walk or ride your bike, you know, because there's a lack of sidewalks or bike lanes, or if you just live at a distance, you live in a community that's not set up for those things in terms of your grocery store is 10 miles away, 
then you're not going to do it. I mean, it, it requires a societal change that's not dependent on just one person. Mm, exactly. So let's get to our main topic for today, which is the Apple Car. Uh, and we're talking about today, of course, there's been rumors about the Apple Car for months now, I think. Uh, was it New York Times came out with an article earlier this year talking about how Apple's hired 20, 30 people to be working on the Apple car. Uh, but we're talking about this week because Elon Musk went out, he, he's been doing uh, some publicity and he went out and he made several comments about the Apple car. So I'm going to read some of the, and about Apple in general, he took a few jabs. So <laughs> I'm going to read those to you and we can talk about them. Uh, first of all, he said, Apple has hired people we've fired, or Apple is hiring people we've fired. We always jokingly call Apple the Tesla graveyard, which is, those are fighting words right Definitely there. Definitely fighting <laughs> words. If you don't make it a Tesla, you go work at Apple. I'm not kidding. Yeah. And then he tried to walk it back, trying to be like, I love Apple, but those are fighting words. I'm going to read you a few more and we can go through them. The funny thing is he was tweeting, well, I don't know if he tweeted that exact remark, but he was tweeting these things from an iPhone. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that one, I think, was made at, it was an interview in a German magazine, as yes. a matter of fact. Uh, from the same interview, he said, did you ever take a look at the Apple Watch? No, seriously. It's good that Apple is moving and investing in this direction, but cars are very complex compared to phones or smartphones. You can't just go to a supplier like Foxconn and say, build me a car. Um, and I think I'm going to read through the rest of them and we'll get into it, but that's definitely one of the big question marks around the car. And so it's that one I felt like was less of a jab at Apple because Apple isn't a manufacturer. It's a legitimate question. Okay, and then so this is where... Of course, I think he thought, oh, I'm talking to a German magazine. Germans will read it. It'll be okay. And then social <laughs> That's media. That's how media works. Yeah, you would think you would know. But social media freaked out because anytime you say anything about Apple, good or bad, everybody listens. Uh, so then he went on Twitter and he said, yo, which was a nice way to start. Yo, I don't hate Apple. It's a great company with a lot of talented people. I love their products and I'm glad they're doing an EV, which I'm assuming stands for electric vehicle. Yes. Which was, I think, one of the more interesting comments because it, it, it there was no ambiguity there. there yeah. It was, I'm glad they're doing an electric vehicle, period. Otherwise, the only thing we really know is that Apple's doing something car-related. And it seems like, it seems like they would know. It seems like uh, Musk would know. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that, that Musk has enough of a relationship with the people that are leaving his company mm -hmm. uh, just through sort of the, you know, talking around the water cooler type of conversations um, to know that they're working on, on a car. So I, I felt like that was definitely a verification that Apple's in that space. And of course, the rumors have, you know, 200 employees on this project and they want to ramp it up to 1,000, very similar to sort of the pre-Apple Watch type of rumors um, but I felt like this was harder evidence that it was actually happening because it's very easy for me to believe that he's had it firsthand from somebody he used to work with. And I actually, when I was doing research for this podcast, I came across an interview, I think from February with him. And there were a lot of rumors going around that he had been meeting with Apple about purchasing Tesla, which mm. of course didn't happen, probably never will. But I would imagine he gleaned some insight into their plans then as well. Uh, yeah, I also wanted to point out that 
he's impugning these Tesla, former Tesla employees, but I've heard that Apple is paying significantly more and it may have less to do with Tesla not wanting them and the employee, but just not having the money to pay them because Apple's very cash rich and Tesla is currently not. Oh, it was absolutely very self-serving comments. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. Just a little bit of bitterness there. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like an objective assessment of the scenario necessarily. He's totally objective. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, the last comment I'm going to read, and this comes from... Uh, at Vanity Fair conference, and Sam Altman, who leads Y Combinator, and he do, he's a venture capitalist, and Musk were on a panel. And this one's not directly connected with Apple, but they said, self-driving, Altman said, self-driving cars are going to get here much faster than people think. And then uh, he said he thought it was going to be three to four years. Musk piped in and said that he thinks it's closer to two to three years. So these are converging in the sense of Apple coming out with a car that directly competes with Tesla and the self-driving car movement, of course, which, of course, Google is involved in as well. So question number one, as Apple fanatics, are you guys insulted that he called Tesla, he called Apple the Tesla graveyard? I think it's funny. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not insulted at all because I think that... I think that Elon Musk is is a smart and ruthless character, uh, and I I think I take it to the point where he is trying to, uh, as much as possible, position his company in the in the best possible light, and he doesn't want people to lose confidence in his company, and so he's making you know comments that to me are very similar to the way that Steve Jobs would have managed his business and, you know, saying that, you know, Adobe Flash is dead, mm-hmm. you know, that type of guts uh, is really what um, is what he's displaying. And I think he's displayed it many times in the past, but that's how I take it. Yeah, it, it, it didn't bother me at all. First of all, I'm a fan of Musk. I think he's a brilliant guy. I really, he tends to speak his mind. And, he, and I really enjoy listening to his comments because of that. That doesn't necessarily mean I think he's right about all these things, but I would expect him to say no less. And if I were leading a company and Apple were trying to steal my employees, I'd probably take a few. Stealing yeah, them off. not trying, but successfully, I'd take a few shots myself. Um, Sarah, you said it didn't bother you either. No, I mean, I, I kind of enjoy Elon Musk. I mean, he says these things and they get attention and sometimes they're funny. And But, you know, I... It doesn't seem like he's really like actually being inappropriately critical of Apple. He's kind of understandably a little ticked and I don't know, you know, it's just, I'm not an uncritical fan of Apple, so it doesn't upset me when people criticize Apple. They're not like perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And in general, I think we need to all be a little bit more thick skinned about comments. Uh, Social media tends to get up in arms really quickly about these things. Yeah. I I would take it even a step further and say that um, I think that Elon Musk even hit a chord uh, that maybe some really, you know, dedicated fanboys don't want to admit. And that is when he started talking about the Apple Pencil and the iPad and the iWatch as not being incredibly innovative products that were really capturing the market. I think that's something that a lot of us fanboys have been sort of wanting to ignore as much as possible, (laughs) you know, because those products don't necessarily have the shock and awe that some of the other Apple products have had. Um, And the innovation and implementation of those things are not something that we're necessarily you know, jumping up and down to brag to our friends about. Uh, so I think he definitely hit a chord there and um, and certainly was, um, 
coming from somebody that is so uh, that is so sharp and intuitive as Elon Musk, uh, I think it definitely it hurts a little bit because it's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, particular particularly he took a shot at the Apple Watch, which I think. It was an interesting one to take a shot at because if you take a shot at the iPad not being quite as innovative these days, it's 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 a mature product. You wouldn't yeah. expect it to be, but the Apple Watch was the premier new product this year, uh, and so to take a shot at that definitely, I think, got Apple fans up in arms. I was a little bit like, oh man, he doesn't like it. <laughs> but the thing is, I kind of was like, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a great smartwatch, and it's certainly better than all, all of the other ones I've looked at out there. But really, the whole smartwatch product line really has a long way to go in terms of functionality. Don't you think? Yeah, no, and that's what hurt. Is it yeah. was hard to disagree. I, I love my Apple Watch. I use it. I have it on my wrist every day. I'm really glad I own one. But it, I think he's right. I think it's Apple Watch 2 and Apple Watch 3 that, where it's going to really hit its stride and become a more mainstream product. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like that's what we've been saying all along, but it's like, you know, it's different when we say it to ourselves than when <laughs> someone who's not, you know. But I think he probably is a big Apple fan, actually. But I would think so. Product, what is he, is he going to... Not he... necessarily of the company who steals all his employees. But. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's not like he's not going to be in competition with Google or, you know, I think even Amazon he's competing with in the space front. So yeah. they're all competing. That's kind of the nature of Silicon Valley. Uh, so do you believe him? Do you believe him that... Tesla has all the talent and that Apple is the te is the Tesla graveyard. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think he is at all, could at all be considered an objective observer of the situation. That, that said, I do believe him from the sense that Apple has much more information and in uh, company knowledge to grow into than Tesla does. Tesla has proven vehicles that are on the market and it really is a different class of product for Apple mm -hmm, producing absolutely. a car. Um, and there are so many, so many dramatically higher stakes for your engineering decisions than Apple is used to. Uh, you're, you're dealing with a lot of life and death, death type of situations, a lot of safety situations, and they deal with some of that, but really not on this scale. Uh, so there's a lot of industrial knowledge that they have to um, that they have to gain and they have to create systems for. Uh, and when you're venturing into a new product line, it's very easy to have uh, you know a blind eye towards something that you just don't know you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so certainly it's going to take Apple a long time. And Apple has proven, uh, you know, on the positive side, they've proven that they're not shy about waiting and releasing something when they're ready. Uh, so I think that they're going to do that well. But that said, I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon. I think it's no, going to take them a long 2020 time. 2020 at least. And I think that's a really I think that sounded optimistic. Yeah, yeah. Optimistic. I think it's going to be a while. I think I half believed him. I didn't believe him in that I don't think Apple is hiring the people that Tesla doesn't want. I think that Apple has a lot of money. And Apple as a company, their culture, their mystique, they've never had a hard time hiring people. I do think, though, like you're saying, Tesla has an expertise in this area that Apple does not have. And as a company, it's very difficult to hire an expertise. It's very difficult to go out on the market and just start hiring people and suddenly you're an expert in it. it there's a cultural expertise that happens over time as you're building products together. And so I do think that Apple is behind in that. And Tesla does have an advantage and they do have a cultural expertise that Apple 
can't have yet because they've never built anything. Yeah. Um, and I think getting to the the real question in this, are you guys excited about the Apple cars? Do you think this is a good move for Apple? I don't even know if they'll ever actually come out with it. I mean, I I understand what maybe why they're going for it, but they may at some point say this isn't for us and stop. Yeah, I think um, is this a good move for Apple? I, I think that I think it's a risky move for Apple. Absolutely, I think it's a very risky move for Apple, and, and you see how these car companies get get you know they get dragged through the mud on a regular basis because this little switch failed and that little thing did that and and really the. Um, you know, the sort of glowing cloud that Apple likes to put around all of its products and its brand uh, is going to be very difficult when you've got a car that, that somebody doesn't like. And, and, and so I think it's a very risky move for their core brand proposition moving forward. And anything negative in the car is going to affect their other businesses. So. I mean, are you entirely convinced that they're really building a car? It's pretty obvious they're doing something car-related. I'm pretty convinced they're building a car. I, I am. I, I think that Apple's been a leaky ship in this stuff. I think, when was the last, like, major well, Apple <laughs> rumor that you heard that wasn't substantial? Yeah, I mean, when you're decimating the workforce of a lot of yeah. car-related companies, then it can't you can't really hide that. And I agree with you. Apple sometimes develops products and never see the light of day. I would bet a lot of money that there's a television somewhere in Apple that is never going to see the light of day, but they've tried. Yeah. You know, yeah. So they do that, and it's possible that they'll pull the plug on this. But when you start talking to 300 employees, and it's hard to believe that they're not and... serious about yeah. it. Yeah, I, th I think that's true. Um, and, and my gut instinct tells me that Tim Cook is not as willing to pull a plug as Steve yeah, Jobs was. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Tim Cook decides to do something earlier uh, and wants it to work. Yeah. And his yeah. will to want it to work uh, is more important than Steve's, where Steve would basically just say, it didn't work, so forget it, or let's mm -hmm. do it later. I, I feel like Tim doesn't quite have that as a second nature uh, to his managing style. I agree. I think it would, if Steve Jobs were in charge, he, he could just very well lose interest in a project. Whereas I don't, th I think Tim Cook is not going to invest millions of dollars into something easily and he's not going to pull the plug on that easily. Yeah. But don't you think that Apple really has to try and branch out? I mean, the iPhone in some ways was kind of a completely different thing. They were like a computer company and now they're like mostly the iPhone. And but you, I think it's a mistake for a company to just double down on what they're doing. You do have to explore doing other things, or you can. I mean, it's hard to imagine what it could be. But at some point, maybe smartphones will disappear, and we'll all be taken by surprise because it's something none of us can even think of now. And you have to be in a position where you can kind of pivot and change yeah, course in your business. Absolutely. So I, I actually wrote an article about this when the first rumors came out, and I think we're going to put it online this week, and we'll link to it. So iPhoneLife.com. Oh, well, now you have to. <laughs> iPhoneLife.com slash podcast, and we'll link to it. Uh, and it was one of the more fun articles I ever, I had more fun writing it. Hopefully you'll have fun reading it. Uh, but I had a lot of fun writing it because it was such an interesting debate. Because uh, I think there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons. Um, so I'll do a brief summary of it. Um, I think the pros are, number one, what you're saying is that 
it's a major new category and Apple has not had a major new category in a while. Uh, even the Apple Watch is in a lot of ways just an accessory for the, for the iPhone. So, yeah. so it, it, it's a new category. New categories are going to be risky, but they're necessary for business growth, number one. Number two, uh, being uh, uh, Apple has, I think, when I, I was scamming, skimming my article, it was about $127 billion cash on hand. Yeah. And so the fact that the car industry is so expensive to get into is actually an advantage for Apple because they have the money to spend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Their, their investors expect them to spend that money towards growth, and there's not a lot of industries where you can spend that much money and create real growth. Um, yeah. So I think that's those are the advantages. And the third advantage is cars are changing. We were talking about this with the self-driving cars. Yeah. Right now, it's estimated that the software is approximately 10% of the value of a car. Mm. And in the next few years, that's going to go up to 60%. Wow. wow. So can you think of a company that you would rather create software than Apple? I mean, that's what yeah. they do. So the, those are the advantages, but the disadvantages are, uh, the, the first of all, cars are really low margin. So mm-hmm. uh, the margin on the, the iPhone, you guys know what it is? Margin on the iPhone. It's a lot. It's high. 40 to 50% is what it's I guess. It's like upwards of 70 percent yeah it's like 72 73 percent margins i'd be willing to guess that that's based on product cost only yeah i think those are gross margins but still always poo-pooing those numbers (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah but still very high margin um and so that's what apple all of apple's products are high margin do you know what the margin you know what uh apple's or sorry ford's margins were I don't, but I would guess closer to 10%. 3%. Wow. It's like grocery store margin. And and Toyota, who's doing much better, is at 8%. Yeah. So it's a low margin item that people buy rarely. Well, don't you think Apple's going to charge like a huge amount for any car it puts out? Yeah. Yeah, they'll have a higher margin. And I'm sure the luxury vehicles have a higher margin than than 3%. But... um, but that said, you you can't stick out like a sore thumb and just be way more expensive than everybody else and, and have it work out. And, and the average car on on American roads is, I think, 11 or 12 years old right now. <laughs> so it's not something people are buying regularly, and it's not something that Apple makes a lot. They make a lot of money because it's a high dollar value, but you, you're not going to be selling. You sell a new smartphone every year, every two years to a consumer. You sell it every 12 years or more to uh, for a car. That's a very good point. Uh, and the final point, too, in terms of why it's a little bit crazy for them to do is what I think Musk was getting at, which is Apple doesn't manufacture any of their products. Yeah. Uh, that's not their strength. It's never been a strength of theirs. And the car industry is just synonymous with manufacturing. Ford uh, with the assembly line, Toyota with lean manufacturing, and now Tesla with robotics. Nobody... Nobody in the car industry has ever outsourced their manufacturing. Yeah, I'm actually less skeptical about that point. I've spent a fair amount of time in manufacturing. And so certainly um, Apple has a huge amount of expertise in the manufacturing management. And they do a lot of their, um, they get very involved in the manufacturing of their products. And so what they do is they will set up a manufacturing process and then just ask somebody else to deal with the overhead of doing that process the way that they've developed it. Um, so I, I feel like they're not lacking so much in that area in terms of a knowledge base than, than someone might think. That said, there are a lot of 
different tools in the car manufacturing business uh, that I'm sure they haven't put their hands on. But to me, they've proven the process of mastering those tools and understanding that they need to be involved in the mastery of those tools. Uh, so I feel confident in that area. And, and you might be right, but the problem is the risks are really great. You know, we talk, we were joking earlier in this podcast about all these gates, and bend gate seems like not a very big deal, but brake gate would be a really big deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. An airbag gate would be a really big deal. And so obviously those are not areas that yeah, are as likely to are much fail. But when a, a gate. Uh, yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> but the the point is you there's no room for margin in your manufacturing. It's true. The the other thing though that they have in, in their favor is that the car manufacturing industry is much more mature than the yeah, than the absolutely. cell phone industry. So when you're dealing as a car manufacturer, there's an enormous amount of information, testing protocol, government regulation, so many things that make it very difficult to put a car on the road that's going to kill you. Not that it doesn't happen, <laughs> but there's a lot of lot of checks and balances in between the, the point of concept and, and delivery um, that really will help to guide them just by the very nature of the system of that business. So I asked two questions getting into this one was, do you want them to make a car? And two, do you think it's a good idea to make a car? Um, I'll answer my own questions and we'll go back around because you guys somehow <laughs> avoided the question. <laughs> um, I want them to make a car. I think that it's an industry that's ripe for disruption. I think that as software becomes the, the main value of a car, I think that Apple could bring a lot to it. So the consumer in me really wants them to. Uh, the business analyst in me is not sure it's a good idea for them. I think that they've, they're they in areas that is they have great margins. They sell a lot of products every year in those areas. And it I, I don't see entering into a low margin, difficult to manufacture industry where you sell few products each year is is the right move for them. But I hope they do it anyway. And in some degree, Part, I like that Apple's going for it because I like that they're a company that would just do it even if it wasn't the business move because they like making cool stuff. Yeah, I I hate to sound like a parrot, but I pretty much agree with everything that you just said. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually take this podcast. I'm gonna take that part because I never hear that from you, Noah. <laughs> if I could frame that, exactly. Uh, but that's that's my exact position. I want them to make a car. I would love to see the Apple car. I, I agree that they. Their position to offer a great value for a car, I think it's a very risky business move for them. Um, but I also like the fact that they're willing to take a risk because if they don't, then the, they're going to end up becoming irrelevant, you know, in a five, ten year span. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's It seems risky, but it also seems necessary. They need to do something. Um, I'm going to drive my 15-year-old Subaru until it, like, falls apart because that's the kind of person I am. But... I'll enjoy watching David drive his new Apple car. Well, I, it's funny because I, I, when I read that they're saying two to three years, I was like, oh, I've been thinking about getting a new car. I drive a 99 car. And <laughs> I'm like, beat then. yeah, I got you beat. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to wait. I got a 98. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, subscribe to the insider, please. <laughs> but now I'm like, I think I'm going to wait because it's possible my next car will be a self-driving car. How crazy is that? I have a psychological barrier to self-driving cars. I have a hard time being in a car that someone else is driving. And I think that's even why I like my Subaru. It's a stick shift. And so there's like, it's a much more involved driving process. And I, I guess I have 
control issues? <laughs> well, no, this was going to be one of my questions, and I, I cut it out because we're running a little bit over on time, but I'll ask that because would you guys drive a self-driving car? There's something scary about it. I feel like once I was over the psychological hump, maybe I would. I mean, it, it can be exhausting driving long distances, but what I really hate about automatic things on cars is I love being able to just press a button and roll my window down. It drives me nuts that I can't like manually roll it down if I want to. And same with like, I have a minivan that has like automatic doors. You can't just open it manually if you mm -hmm. want to. And that bothers me. Control issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, I think that I would very soon embrace the self-driving car I'm not a bleeding edge consumer, so I like to, I like to let somebody else do those first, <laughs> those first yeah. tests. Uh, but I pay close attention to what's happening on that bleeding edge, uh, and I would very, I my guess is I would very soon adopt that, assuming that all all of the evidence is pointing in the right direction, and feel very confident and be one that would uh, advocate that for other people. I think what bothers me, what, what I'm anticipating bothering me is exactly what you're saying. And I've been reading articles about this, and they're having a hard time programming cars to drive as aggressively as humans drive. Mm -hmm. And that's going to drive me crazy because I'm going to want, no pun intended, I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> sorry, cheesy joke of the day alert. Uh, I'm going to want my car to like take the right away even when it didn't officially have it because the other person's going a little bit slowly and my car is going to sit there and let every person go by. And so like there's something nice about having control over it. Um, but it's also, I think it's amazing that a car can just drive you someplace. Like imagine just being able to sit back, watch a movie and then look up and you're there. It sounds so nice. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm more willing to, to relax, but I'm also assuming that a self-driving car is, is really not excluding you from being a driver. Uh, so I assume that if, you know, you're feeling the need to drive quickly to a meeting because you're late, uh, that you can then take the controls and go ahead yeah. and do that. Yeah. I think yeah. really the scary part. part, the scary part is when you transition past that to the point where people aren't learning to drive effectively anymore. Uh, and then people feel like it's not safe to actually put somebody behind the wheel. And that to me is, is a more disturbing <laughs> eventuality. There's lots of disturbing eventualities in this <laughs> one. I am wasting my time teaching my daughter to drive a stick shift and she's not even going to drive. Right. It's true. I mean, she'll have a few years in her and then after that, it'll be just the car will take over for her. Yeah, it takes a long time to transition in that industry. Like you I said, know. people drive old cars. So it's going to take a long time to to become commonplace. And I think one of the things that I'm, I'm bracing myself for, because I'm already kind of annoyed at all the, all the analysis of like, is it safe? And the first time an, an automatic car gets in an accident that, it, that it's its fault, everybody's going to write all of these long uh, critiques of how awful it is. Yeah. But it's so much safer than a human driver. It I, can process information so quickly and it can, it, it can process so much more information it's a lot safer already i think yeah i'm actually more comfortable with that i mean have you seen how people drive i mean i'm actually yeah. more of a pedestrian <laughs> than a driver which is why i have such an old car because i hardly use it but i get run over almost every day in a town that doesn't have very much traffic absolutely I mean, it's ridiculous humans are terrible drivers they yeah really, they, they are, are. <laughs> they are i i think that uh i think that the the safety of the car and, and the fact that it's going to get a lot of media attention as soon as it goes bad, I think ultimately that's really just a good dynamic. That's a good journalistic dynamic that 
uh, it will draw attention to something that has a flaw and then people will start to correct that thing. And, and, uh, but and cars I, are so dangerous already. I mean, like the people worry about their kids getting kidnapped, but like the leading cause of death for children is car accidents, which means even parents who you think would be the safest, most cautious drivers are like crappy drivers, just like everyone else. Yeah, no, I, I think, but but Noah's right. I think journalists. <laughs> I'm really positive. Do, yeah. this, this, this podcast. There, there was a there was a silver lining in that. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna get better. We're gonna save lives here, Sarah. There you go. That's right. That's I won't right. have to jump out of the way of various cars on I, my way to work. Every I day. think I think the fact that we have a term a blind spot in a car it kind of says it all it's like yeah. a spot that humans are too lazy to turn and check and so we just say we can't see it and i think self-driving cars will not have blind spots yeah but i think not to bring it back to baby deaths but exactly for that point bring it back to baby deaths i think that that's one of the areas <laughs> that really people will embrace it on i mean yeah. i know that having three children you know, when I go to the doctor and they're telling me, you know, make your baby sleep on the back because when everybody was sleeping on their stomachs, then more people were were dying, uh, more babies were dying. And I think that really it's those types of things where you see those mortality rates dramatically drop that you decide as a society, this is probably something that we all value. It's mm -hmm. such an important thing, you know, that that type of that type of life. And when you look at an aggregate number and you see those those benefits, it's going to be very hard for society as a whole to not see that silver lining as being a really core benefit for our lives. Yeah, I remember never riding in a car seat and now the very idea, or wearing a helmet on a bike, and now the very idea that you wouldn't have your child strapped into a booster seat or ha ride their bike with a helmet is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think that's our show. <laughs> I, I, we could go on for hours on this in case you didn't notice. We love talking about this stuff, but I think that we're a little over time as a matter of fact. So let me end by telling you guys what you guys can do. Number one, we're doing a podcast every week now in case you hadn't noticed. So go subscribe to the podcast so you can make sure you get to hear it. Number two, all of the things we talked about here, all the articles we referenced and all of the products we referenced, go to iphonelife.com slash podcast and check it out there. Uh, and number three, iphonelife.com slash daily tips to subscribe to daily tip. Number four, iphonelife.com slash insider to subscribe to the premium insider. Uh, anything you guys want to add? Well, send us your comments. Let us know Thank what you, you thought about the podcast. And um, uh, definitely let us know if you have any opinions that differ or you agree with us. So last week I gave out my personal email address. I think we're going to be a little more professional this week. <laughs> email us. <laughs> Thanks for the emails, guys. Uh, we're going to get uh, podcast at iphonelife.com. So get, we'd love to hear your feedback either on any of the topics we discussed today or how you like our podcast in general. So podcast at iphonelife.com. I don't have anything to add except for thanks for listening. This is a lot of fun. Thanks so much, guys. All right. See you later.